poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Philosophical Friday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your hosts, Duncan Palamortis and Peter Birmingham. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Philosophical Friday. Uh, these are your co-hosts, Peter Birmingham, and yours truly, Duncan Palamortis. Peter, welcome back. How is everything today? Thanks very much, Duncan. Uh, once again, apologies to the listener for listeners for bailing on you at the last minute last week. Uh, small emergency, but couldn't be helped. Um, I left you in. I left you in good hands with with Duncan. Anyway, that's the that's the important thing. Very good. And why are we excited today? Like super excited today. We are very excited today because we have a true bona fide clinical psychologist with us today, Duncan. That is Dr. Michael J. Whitman. That is exactly correct. And let me briefly give an introduction uh, to uh, Dr. Michael. So Dr. Michael Whitman is a licensed a clinical psychologist, very important, licensed, right? With a private <laughs> practice primarily in Beverly Hills as well as Manhattan Beach. So very, very close to, to my home here. He's been practicing psychotherapy for over 20 years. He's also what I would call a metatherapist in the sense that he has experience with training and educating fellow therapists for a significant part of his career, both in and out of private practice. He's the author of A Psychological Analysis of Tennis, which you can find on Amazon, which explores the mental aspect of the game. And he currently holds a podcast called The Shrink in Beverly Hills, where he interviews a variety of people, including many of his associates in the practice. Previously, he was the host of the Dr. Michael Whitman show on latalkradio.com. And last but not least, Dr. Michael is an avid poker player and a very good one at that, as I can confirm from our personal battles on the field. Michael, welcome to the show. All that was true, except being a very good poker player. I think everything else is very accurate. <laughs> I, I, I'm an avid poker player, though, and I, and I and I do I do love to try to get better and learn. And, and the psychological part intrigues me. I'm very happy to be here with you guys. Thanks for that nice intro. Absolutely, absolutely. And and speaking of of intros, I just want to start uh, with a quote you quoted, as well as one of your quotes. Right? Um, I, I couldn't help but finding this. Uh, you made this quote from an author that I really love, and it was actually my introduction to psychotherapy as a college student, Dr. Irving Yalom. Uh, he wrote When Nietzsche Wept. It was one of the first books I read about psych psych psychotherapy. And his quote is, one's attitude towards one's situation is the very crux of human being. And then you quote, which is something that I would like to explore, if that's okay with you. The way in which one person deals with a situation varies from the way um, another person deals with the exact same situation. So while we may not always see it, there's often an opportunity for growth and understanding in adverse circumstances. That's such a beautiful quote. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? Sure. Yeah, I mean, 
Dr. Yalm's an amazing author, you know, in person. And so my personal connection with him is I reached out to him a few times and we consider him sort of the rock star. He's the Phil Ivey, let's say, of psychotherapists. And all over the world, people know him. Even in, even in Greece, there's lines to, to buy his books out the block, right? So, um, but if I, I emailed him a few times and called him a few times over the years, he gets back to me the same day. If I have a question about, you know, doing group therapy, which he was an expert in, or just whatever, he's that kind of a person, which is, which is great. So I bought almost all his books, and I, I highly recommend, even if you're not super into therapy, you'll like his, his writing, because he's such a good writer. Anyway, so the, the, the idea of our attitude is basically everything. And this, you know, there's a lot of brilliant authors who say this in different ways. So um, this sounds to me like um, you can apply it in sports, in poker, in life. So you'll see this on a very basic level in, in poker. Somebody gets a bad beat and they blame the dealer, you know, they blame uh, the other guy for making a loose call. Uh, they'll blame the waitress for interrupting when he was thinking about something. And someone else, you know, like you, Duncan, you know, will just blink and just say, okay, that happened now. Let me see if I can understand it. And so it's really the same situation. It's how you respond to it. You could use it constructively or destructively. This is this is very beautiful. And, uh, you know, that was actually one of the topics that we, we tried to explore. Uh, we have a, another another doctor uh, who uh, who came to the to to the uh, to the show. Um, also, P, uh, not not a medical, not an MD, but a, but a PhD, uh, Doctor Alex Shoran. And one of the questions we asked her is essentially: uh, Can trauma lead to personal growth in a way that would perhaps be otherwise impossible? Like to, to your point, like could adversity? Can one be? I would take that, I guess, to the next level and ask, can one be extraordinary without any meaningful adversity? And are extreme obstacles a potential blessing in disguise, provided that one survives to tell the tale? So we had all of these questions. And mm -hmm. I mean, and, and you know, uh, 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 Doc, as, as we, uh, we lovingly call her, she, she made <laughs> a very funny quote, what doesn't kill you makes you weirder sometimes, you know, like <laughs> it, 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 that which doesn't kill you, doesn't make stronger, doesn't make you weirder. So, so uh, Dr. Michael, what can we make of trauma? And I guess just to summarize all of these questions, because I know I asked a lot of things, uh, basically the question is, can trauma lead to personal growth in a way that would perhaps be otherwise impossible and asked differently and perhaps putting a sound a little bit twisted if you knew you could overcome any trauma would you choose to have one oh that's a tough one i'll get to that one later because that's a i hadn't thought of that one but um trauma can definitely lead to some amazing human beings on this planet and i wrote about a couple of them in my book one of them was arthur ash so arthur ash was a famous tennis player he grew up in the 50s in the south like virginia terrible prejudice and racism. They didn't let him play a lot of tennis turns because of the color of skin. So he could have become a bitter, angry um, person and feel like a victim, rightfully so. He was a victim of racism, but he turned it around to become number one tennis player in the world and the first African-American to win Wimbledon, the US Open. Now they named the stadium in New York after Arthur Ashe and he's a model of handling adversity. And so he had, and he lost his mother at an early age. So a lot of trauma but he had um, a lot of talent, a lot of will, 
and determination and a father who was strict and didn't let them feel sorry for themselves that the mom was gone. And he had the fortune of having tennis courts in his backyard because uh, his father was managing like a, a sports park, a, a kind of a park and recreation place. So he was always on the tennis court and he found his passion and what he was good at, what made him feel good. So he's one of my heroes. I've had the, actually the fortune of meeting Arthur. Uh, he spoke to our high school tennis team um, just out of the goodness of his heart. He, I'm sure he wasn't paid. It was a public school and maybe that was partly what drew him. And um, very nice guy. And um, one of my role models. Um, the other person I wrote about in the book briefly was Novak Djokovic, mm -hmm. probably going to be considered the greatest tennis player that ever lived. Mm -hmm. He grew up in war-torn Serbia, and that's a lot of trauma as a kid. And that helped him in a certain way because then tennis was seen to him as a game, even on the biggest stage as Wimbledon, U.S. Open Finals match point. He's not as nervous as the other guy usually because he knows it's still just a game, even though there's so much riding on it. This is this is a very excellent point, and um, and I, I'm assuming that if we were to ask those people, you know, uh, would you change any of these, I guess, impacts that, you know, trauma had on your life? Um, would they change anything? What do you think? Would you would you change if they were to go back in time and change, you know, the the way they grew up? Would you would they change anything? I mean, this That's is such a tough question. It's an interesting question. You're, it reminds me of what Doyle Brunson said was, I had a lot of good and bad in my life, but I don't want to do it again. Mm. You know, because even Doyle, it must have been traumatizing to play in, in the 50s and 60s and get held up at gunpoint in the middle of a poker game, even though he mm. acts like, you know, he's so tough, but he's still human and his life was in danger. And even if you're really stoic and strong, you're human and, it, it, you know, faced with life in death situations, it does something to you, I'm sure. You're absolutely right, and it's it's such a to me it's such a fascinating question because, like you said, we've seen some human beings that reached extreme levels, and often they quote the reaction to trauma as a way to tap into that hidden energy within them to reach those levels. And I can't help but wondering, is that some sort of a blessing in disguise? At the same time, I want to be very careful, and that's why I'm asking it to a professional, because trauma is no joke. It can break right. people. It's it's not something that you wish to your worst enemy. Like, it's a horrible, horrible, horrible thing, and I just want right. to make that clear for the listener. So I'm, I, that's why I'm asking that question, you know, like, is... To, to, yeah. to... I think it's a very personal question, you know, and so it really would depend on asking Arthur Ashe or asking the person... If you could change, many people say they wouldn't change a thing because this is the way life has unfolded for them and they wouldn't be who they are today if it weren't for these traumas and these difficulties. So that's a common answer I've heard from people. Now, I briefly read this, this book from this woman from North Korea who went through unspeakable tragedies um, uh, such as rape and, and stuff like that. I don't know how somebody could sign up for that again. Um, in my own case, one of my uh, losses, let's say, was um, I was a tennis competitive tennis player and nationally ranked and I got hurt and I couldn't compete anymore. And so while this was a huge loss for me, in a way, I think maybe my purpose on the planet was was to become who I am today, a psychologist and, and do other things. So maybe if I had gone the tennis path, it wouldn't have gone that way. And, and I, I don't know. So we don't, really don't know where the other path would have gone. That's part of the difficulty of those things. You know, when I have somebody who says, you know, if only, you know, I would have uh, gotten into that graduate school right now, I'd be this and this and this. 
we don't know. Maybe if you got to that graduate school, you would have become depressed and suicidal or, or uh, you just don't know. That's, that's an interesting thing of the if only. So we think if only that it would have gone up like this, but it may have not, it may have gone down. That's exactly right. Maybe, maybe you got into a car accident the first day you go to college. Right. You know, who, who knows? You're absolutely, absolutely right, Michael. Uh, Peter? I was just going to say, it's funny because it kind of leads us back to something that we've, and it, not quite the same because it's not necessarily always a choice, but it's, it, it's almost the same idea of opportunity cost like that we've discussed many times on the pod. Like, I mean, that if you've, you've taken this road, um, and like in your example, Dr. Michael, if you had gone on to be a professional tennis player, like the opportunity cost there was this career and clinical psychology, obviously helping people improve their lives and, you know, touching people on a much more human level. Um, it's it's a very, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that things just constantly seem to come back to that idea. Yeah, it is. It's, it's really... Did you ever see this movie with Gwyneth Paltrow called Sliding Doors? Yes, yes. 20 years ago? And I it's do, just, I... yeah, we just, these little things in our life, you don't know how things are going to go. And I think sometimes life is a game of inches. And, you know, if Moneymaker hadn't hit that card, maybe we wouldn't be sitting here today. Or, you know, there's just so many little things that have to happen in life. And um, it just amazes me sometimes that, you know, no, actually, that's a very good point. I'm, sometimes I'm amazed, you know, we're sitting at a restaurant and the fact that we're not killing each other, to me, that's just, <laughs> you look, you look as, you know, the history where we have to overcome some incredible odds. But you mentioned something about uh, Novak Djokovic, which I wanted to elaborate on that, right? The idea that him having faced, you know, the horrors of war has calmed him down at the greatest stage and he doesn't bring the you know the uh the anxiety perhaps that other people bring to the game which is very uh, very very obvious uh, and incidentally i took your advice and i and i watched the documentary breakpoint on netflix uh, i highly recommend i recommend it to everybody to everybody and i do have a lot of questions from that too so is competition especially the extreme kind, like the competition that we see at those like high level tennis matches, a healthy endeavor. And just to elaborate a little bit on that, it's sort of like unquestionable that evolution is driven by competition. So we're sort of drawn to it one way or another. But to what extent are artificial forms of competition that do not lead directly to survival and reproduction, healthy substitutes or good exercises for our natural drives, and what forms are simply detrimental destructions that feed on our primal urges with all the costs, but none of the benefits? Because it feels to me that there's such an extreme competition going on that, you know, it feels that it's filled with losers in some sense, like everybody but the first guy wins. And, and again, psychologically speaking, is growth as opposed to winning the real driving force? Is there some other driving force? Dr. Michael, what what are your thoughts on 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 extreme extreme competition? It's yeah. So that's a really good question. So tennis. Let's take tennis since that Netflix is about that uh, show Breakpoint. So this is an extremely difficult sport. You're alone, one on one. You're traveling around the world, and like they emphasize, most of the time you're not going to win the tournament unless you're you know one of the rare champions uh, of all time. 
And that's hard on people. But I think that for most people, it's a growth opportunity to, to enjoy the process and the journey and improving and getting better. How do you handle losses? How do you handle victories? Um, how do you handle adversity? So I think even at that level, even though it takes so much out of them, it's, it's a positive thing. And especially because they can be role models for how to deal with adversity and still be a gentleman or still, 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 uh, you know, conduct yourself with a certain etiquette, even though you want to kill the other person on the other side of the net sometimes, or you want to kill the referee or the fan who's being obnoxious. So you still have to be civilized. And so I think it's really interesting because our closest relative is the chimpanzee. And so our our DNA is 99% the same as the chimpanzee. The chimpanzees, if they don't like their rival, they eat their children, literally. So we we have that savage side of us. So I think when people supplement it, it was the Freud uh, term Freud used, supplement that aggression into a competitive or useful end, like tennis, poker, or a career, that's generally a good thing. Now, I think it starts to push it more and more for physical trauma when we have sports that are giving concussions or or traumatizing the participants. Like football. And I'm sure as a former tennis player, I experienced some trauma even at the level I was at the national junior level. So um, there's more and more a need for sports psychologists because um, I think it's hard on people. I think it's harder on women. Women tend to, you know, have a harder time, I think, in those situations on average. And because of their wiring, probably. Um, and, and you see cases like uh, Naomi Osaka uh, really breaking down mentally. Simone Biles um, admirably speaking up that she just wasn't 100% there. And men, too. Maybe also men were, were not allowed to say it as much that we're not, we're not all there because there's more stigma for a man not being strong. So anyway, um, that's the long answer. Is I, I think in general, it's a good thing, even, even at the intense levels. And yeah. No, this is a beautiful answer. Just to to follow up on that question, what would you say, uh, again, as a professional, is the difference in the wiring that you were describing? You said there might be like a different uh, wiring between men and women. And and, and this is documented, you know, like that's why, you know, there is. Yeah. What would you say? Well, yeah, it's the research shows that women have more negative emotions than men. So they they have higher levels of anxiety, for example. Mm -hmm. So, um, that probably has an adaptive quality because if, if you're a mother raising children for thousands of years, you have to be more vigilant to danger to the children, whereas the man didn't have that responsibility. And so he didn't, he didn't adapt the same level of vigilance and anxiety to stressors. Um, so he, he needed to be cool and focused while he hunted the prey. And the women need to be worried about, oh, the kid just stepped on some rock. I have to make sure he's okay. So it's a, it was a different brain type that, that evolved over thousands of years. So you know, maybe in some circles, you're not supposed to say it, but yeah, it's, it, it's been documented. No, absolutely. Yeah, no, here we, we, we don't mind at all if it's documented. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we bring professionals, you know, to, yeah. to get the facts straight. No, absolutely. Now, uh, speaking of, of extreme um, reactions, right, you mentioned uh, um, in, in in your wonderful response, you mentioned that you know sometimes you you hate the opponent, you want to kill the opponent, you hate the umpire, the referee. Sometimes you hate yourself. Like I mean, you see people like being self self destructive, and, and I want to touch on that because we have something similar uh, in 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 poker too. We have personalities like that who erupt. So 
I want to give two examples, one from poker and one from, from tennis. I think the example in poker is probably Phil Hellmuth, everybody we know and, and love. And, and I guess in tennis will be, I don't know, like Nick Kyrgios would be one example, but I'm sure there, there's others. So talent. Right, John McEnroe. John McEnroe, that's a, that's a good example too. Uh, talent, temper, entitlement, and possibly testing of our tolerance. Like, why are we attracted to them? Because unquestionably, there is some attraction to, to, to these people. I mean, both of these people have huge fans. Uh, can someone hide behind the protective label of a brat and get away with quote-unquote murder? Should the tolerance of abusive behavior be proportional to one's achievement? And where, if any, where do we draw the line? These are some questions that I wanted to address. I know that's a lot of questions, but that's... Yeah. Know. Let's yeah. start. Sorry, go ahead. You're challenging me, so that's good. <laughs> I might have to get a cup of coffee mid-interview, but... Um, <laughs> Please so do. Let, let's look at um, poker. So a common... They call him the, the poker brat, Phil mm -hmm. They used to call McEnroe the, the tennis brat. Right. And, and, and so... I think McEnroe was a, was a true athletic genius and, and, and had unusual gifts. Um, it doesn't seem to me and on a personal gut level, okay to verbally abuse somebody who's a chair umpire or a lines person and is either volunteering or working for a small wage, or even if they're working for a good real high wage. There's something about that that's highly objectionable to me and not good for society. So I was growing up in the 80s, kind of dating myself, but in, in uh, Ohio. And so I think even on a subconscious level, we looked at guys like McEnroe and Nastasia and Connors, and we treated each other worse or our opponents worse or our, our the umpires worse because it was almost cool to be um, obnoxious and, and uh, cruel. So I think it it's bad for the children of, of our society to show that this is cool. And so if you have somebody like Phil Helmuth, he and McEnroe, who I, I do find it entertaining. I'm human. And what entertains me entertains me. I can't help what I like. Sure. I, I, I like watching them erupt. And maybe because I have that same, or we all have that same wish to let out our anger. We all have frustration. Mm -hmm. We all have aggression. That's interesting. And they're doing it. So there's something uh, amazing about it because I would never do it and, and they're doing it. And, um, you know, like, why do we like violent films? What, you know, why do we like sexual films? Because these are our basic drives. Um, so we mitigate those drives with what Freud called the super ego, which is our conscience and saying, I'd like to punch that guy in the face at the poker table, but I shouldn't. Um, so, so anyways, um, I, I think in general for society is bad, but I understand it's a moneymaker. People tune in like like me. And um, I don't think even I, I don't I wouldn't consider Phil Helmuth a genius, but exceptional, exceptionally good at certain aspects of poker. Uh, um, but even if he was a genius, let, let's say like some other player, it's, I don't think it's overall a good for on the whole. Now that this is this is very very well put, and this is one of the questions that we've been asking for a long time, and you put it in a lot of perspective, right? I mean, it it, it, it just just to summarize for the listener, um, hopefully you know I, I come all the, all the points across carefully. Uh, the the idea that part of the reason why we're drawn to these types of behaviors 
is um, because uh, we understand these desires and there's, these are things that we cannot ourselves do because we're limited by society standards. And, and in some twisted sense, we happy to see somebody let those out because we perhaps fantasize ourselves that we would like to be in that spot, feel so free, let it all go. And it's I've never I've never thought of that that way. This is I think is an incredible insight. And and at the same time, of course, you're making the very important point that we have made in the past that we gotta be very careful as a society. We have huge responsibility. What you're discussing there, you know, children basically imitating their idols and having uh, you know, re replicating atrocious behavior, it is actually really, 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 really detrimental. But it's 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 very interesting. Um, I, I would I would add that what's amazing right now in tennis is we have three of the greatest men champions who have ever lived: Nadal, Djokovic, and Federer. Mm -hmm. And um, they competed to be the most gentlemanly, you know, popular people who are great for kids. So right, I, I right. think that it shows you can be a fierce competitor and be considered one of the greatest of all time and treat people with respect. So um, there, there is that part where we just admire their talent and, and their humility and character too. And this is beautifully, beautiful put. Yeah. And, and we have people like that in poker too, like Phil Galfin comes to mind immediately. There are some really nice people and you're absolutely right. And I, and I hope, uh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we can, hope one day that these becomes our standard become our standards right i mean people like that were looking up to those people instead of the uh, of the of the alternatives that's very well put uh, dr michael uh, peter yeah just i just gonna add, like i mean it really does when we have that sort of negative um you know tantrum throwing abusive behavior towards officials and our opponents it just breeds a, a culture that we don't want in our sports and our games it's it's not a it's not a good look for you know people that we're trying to attract into the game like poker in particular like i mean if you're sort of on the fence about whether you'd like to take up poker as a game and you see some guy on the telly throwing cards throwing a glass or whatever um shouting abuse at an opponent that it's not a good look you're instantly going to be turned off and that's not the kind of um character we really want representing um our game moving forward at a, at a time when i think it's it's even more important now for people to be respectful of each other and there are differences and you know just you know let people play the game why do we need to have this this show on the side it's it's was good for its time and it kind of put helmet on the map and you made a lot of money out of it and but it's you know i think it's time has passed i think it's it's function has moved we've moved on from from that era i'd like to think you know in and what we what we expect from our our stars but, but like dr michael said we we can't decide what we like we like what we like right and we cannot necessarily yeah yeah <laughs> and that's the other thing because we we want to challenge everybody wants to challenge societal norms everybody sure. wants to do something outside the box and you know sort of be pushing back against the man but most of us just don't we just you know we look at these people and we go oh yeah that's not great and secretly on the inside we go yeah we're still watching it 
You know, it's not <laughs> exactly. Our actions speak louder than words. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Michael, we had some incredible questions from the villagers, which is basically a community we have. Uh, are, are you are you ready to hear some of those? Uh, can, can I have one more point? In, yes, in addition, in, in addition, another Phil I'd like to mention. Please. In addition to Galfond as good and, and Helmuth as acting bad, sometimes is uh, Ivy. I think Ivy is often considered the goat. And he acts very well. You really, you really don't see him um, misbehave at all. He will stand up for himself if somebody's way out of line, and, 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 or often he says nothing. But very gentlemanly, actually. You know, if he says anything at all. So. Oh, this is an excellent point. Yes, Phil Ivy yeah. has been really good at, uh, and yeah. always, you know, after he gets knocked out of a tournament, he's very courteous to, to his opponents. Nice hand. He's, I've never seen him erupt, or you know, to say, yeah. Um, and consequently, he he tilts a lot less than somebody like Helmuth, who has lost a lot of money on tilt. I, I haven't seen uh, Ivy tilt. It's one of his strengths. It's amazing. That is also a very good point. Yeah, <laughs> and and he's been through incredible downswings, and he's talked about that stuff. But you're right, he he tilts less because of that. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of 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 tilt, um, we have a, a gentleman in the in the village. Uh, shout out B W D U R. I really want to read this in its entirety because it's so visceral and like it hits you right in the gut. The the short-term variance of poker is insane. Short-term is in quotes because due to variance and five big blind winner will be a loser potentially 5% of the time after 100,000 hands, according to Prime Dope's variance calculator. By the way, that's true. You can be a winner and lose in poker after a huge stretch. Uh, 100k hands in two years of play for a recreational player like me is an incredible amount. What is the best way to deal with the fact that I could play some of the best poker of my life, continue to improve, put forth the sweat and tears and mental energy to play a theoretically sound strategy day in and day out and still show losing results due to variance after such a long time? Basically, how do I continue to fight through long-term negative or break-even results? That, that's a, a great question. So I, I think like anything else, if you're too results-oriented, it's your first mistake. And, and so you have to think about, am I playing poker for a living? You know, that's a whole different thing. Are you a recreational player? So if you're not playing for a living, then the results shouldn't be a, um, should be even less on the forefront of your mind. But I, I think it's kind of like when you asked me about does intense levels of tennis do harm or is it too much? And I think that poker can can build your character and you can learn so much about yourself and the world that I would really focus more on the process. Did I become a better poker player? Did I become a better person? Did I learn about psychology myself life and i think it teaches so many different things that ultimately it also teaches faith that ultimately if you're doing all the right things and putting in the work it'll work itself out in terms of the results as well um but it's a really neat game and because unlike let's say tennis uh the luck aspect makes it more challenging to tease out which is also a good thing because then you have people in there who are not as good who don't know that. So <laughs> you, you also need luck in this particular 
game or else it would be like more like chess, which is also a great game. But it's a unique thing about poker is it has has a strong aspect of luck, especially in the short term, as you know. So I, I don't know. It's a tough. It's a tough one though. Uh, I, I you might want to talk to a sports psychologist. If- i love it i love it no you see i I love that answer though the idea that we have to move ourselves away from the results and i know it sounds like a cliche in poker but what you're actually saying the focus is elsewhere the focus is on the personal growth the focus is do i enjoy the moment to moment you know do i enjoy like sitting at the poker table making the decision is the decision making an enjoyable process and of course i'm paraphrasing but like what i'm what i'm hearing and please correct me if i'm wrong we have to shift the focus of our attention to a different area right i mean and, and typically that's the the presence the now do i enjoy the moment to moment do i enjoy the studying do i enjoy going to the gym versus you know losing the weight or gaining the muscle or whatever it is do i actually enjoy the going to the gym right and 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 i think there is something in 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 incredible there and whether you're recreational or a professional like shifting the 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 focus um it would be important is is that a fair fair assessment uh dr michael yeah yeah well said duncan so i want to share an experience very recent for me so unfortunately um and I haven't shared this with you yet. I, I, I took some time off because I hit my head. I slipped in the bathtub a couple of weeks ago and um, I had uh, kind of uh, headaches for, for a while. And thank God they're virtually gone, but I still get them occasionally because I, th- I think I had a minor concussion. And, and um, so I, I stayed away from poker. It's not obviously not a good idea to play poker if you're, you're starting the game with a headache. Right, right. <laughs> so Sunday I, I played and I did experience a headache. The Tylenol relieved it. But I experienced an enormous amount of gratitude that I could sit clear-headed and pain-free and play and just to be there. I really wasn't worried about the results or, or, or this or that. Or I was just so happy to be there and be able to play poker and feel okay and be able to think clearly and not have head pain or anything. And consequently, I played well and it went well. But I really think gratitude to be able to play a hobby that you love or a sport that you love or that you're able to do certain things in life is easy to lose until it's taken away. And so, you know, cause I had to just lay there a lot during the week and rest between, you know, seeing patients and work. And so to be able to do something fun like that, I really appreciate it. Gratitude. That's another important point. Yeah. Very well said, very well said. Gratitude, like the, the appreciation of the moment of, of being there and having that, that, that opportunity. Uh, excellent. Uh, Peter, anything else to, to follow up on that to ask Dr. Michael? Just a quick one, Amber. I wanted to sort of de- derail, the, de- de- derail the point, but just something just kind of struck me about uh, with talking about the, the short-term variance and stuff. How easy is it and how difficult is it then following that for a person like that who's focused on the results to, for it to sort of become a self-fulfilling prophecy that they're running bad and all of a sudden without even noticing they slip into you know bad habits and again the whole everything and this i'm sure this goes for for athletes as well their entire game just spirals and then to try and bring themselves back for that how what what does that look like is is that's is that something you would typically see that's a fantastic point, and and and, and um, 
I would challenge myself if I was in that position to think, what am I doing that I could be doing better? What am I doing wrong? What, what could I tweak a little bit? And there's always things. It's not purely a luck game, even, even in the short term. And so if I have a session and I'm like, ah, oh, that was a bad beat. And, it, you know, it just, it, I'm not thinking about it the right way. I'm thinking, yes, that was a bad beat. But there was three other decisions prior to that hand that could have been tweaked or improved or looked at differently. So there's always stuff to work on. Maybe that session, I could have lost $50 instead of $300 if I had played a little better. Maybe it was destined to be a losing session because I wasn't getting great cards, but I, I could have you know, done some things better. So I think that's a great point. Tweaking would be something to do. And and actually, it's interesting uh, that you bring that up, uh, Dr. Michael, because I did a poll on Twitter and, uh, and about 90% of people struggle at least somewhat with the mental aspect of game. And you already mentioned one thing that they can do, like, for instance, uh, try to ask themselves the important question, what could I do better? What could I tweak? And just to follow up a little bit on that, um, obviously, everyone's is different. But what would you say there are some actionable things that people can try to strengthen their mental game? What are some heuristics yeah. that tend to resonate with large groups of people, like the tweaking that you mentioned? Can you think of anything else that can help people with strengthening their mental game? Yeah, well, I think what we're talking about is what's in your control, because we can't control the cards, we can't control the other players. Right. But we can control our decisions and our behavior. So one basic one is let's say you know that when you get a bad beat, you get tilted or you get upset. So that the actionable thing would be like, when I get a bad beat and, and they, they're 10% or 2% or whatever it is, and they hit it, that I, that I take a walk, that I go to the bathroom and I take five. Uh, when I feel myself getting angry at a player or a, a situation that I get up and I take a walk. So that's one thing to try to implement. Um, you know, let's say you play too long in cash games and you notice after six hours, your decisions start to be pretty mediocre. So you, you, you time yourself and you say, I won't play, you know, after six hours tonight or whatever. So, you know, there's certain things that are under your control like that, you know, that you want to look at. We all have our, our own um, weaknesses. Or let's say you're playing well and you leave after three hours because you just want to book a win. And, and you're like, no, I, what I want to work on today is even if I'm ahead, I want to play six hours and try to max out, you know, my, my good uh, image at the table. Excellent. So to, to, to summarize, you know, um, try to work on the things that you can control, not the things that you cannot control. Also, mm -hmm. Dr. Michael mentioned earlier, tweak uh, some of the things that you may not be doing well. Try to find uh, what are some of your uh, weaknesses and, and work on them. A few examples where, uh, for example, if you want to play a session for a set amount of hours, try to do that. If you're vulnerable to tilt after a, a bad beat, uh, perhaps, you know, force yourself to sort of like get up, go to the restroom, wash your face, take a five, like Dr. Michael would say. I think these are excellent advice. And, and notice, by the way, for the listener, I know I, I apologize if I, if I sound, you know, repetitive here, but for the listener, notice how like Dr. Michael gives things which are actionable, right? Things that we can actually work on, things that uh, they're not like, oh, try to think differently. Or he never said, don't tilt. He said, you know, if you if you understand a certain weakness, just try to work based on the things that you can control, not the things that you may not be able to control, like 
don't tilt wouldn't be helpful because I mean you're tilting you can't control that I've heard a lot of people say that hey don't tilt man it's like that, that's not a solution so, yeah. so again okay I think that's important you remind me that self-awareness is really important so with tilt you can sort of feel it coming and right. but if somebody's not too self-aware all of a sudden you know they just are sort of acting out and, and then they raise the next panel of garbage because they're pissed so i think self-awareness is really really important and, and i heard that recently from um who's been doing really well in tournaments moreno andrew moreno mm -hmm. it's, that his self-awareness has really increased and that's helped his game a lot so you have to kind of be very in touch with yourself and know when you're starting to get a little, there's also a little tilty when you, when you might be playing too careful or something that it's right. less, a little more subtle, you know, but that's a form of tilt. Like I'm just going to wait for aces and then bust this guy. That's exactly <laughs> right. Winners tilt sometimes. That's exactly correct. Yeah. Uh, um, so uh, sort of like, I, I, I know we bombarded you with like all the difficult questions. So let me just take take a step back and try like a sort of easier question, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dennis Peterson, shout out, uh, wants to know uh, what sport has the most common, is the most common uh, closer to poker uh, when it comes to, to mental game? Which, which, which uh, sport would you say? Um, Good question, Dennis. Um... Hmm. Well, I think it's does attract tennis players like Patrick Antonius and, and Gus Hansen. Um, you know, I know some other tennis players who like to play because it's one on one. So poker is an individual sport, an individual game, and um, tennis is close to it. Um, chess, because of all the strategy and critical thinking, um, certainly not team sports. Boxing is too physical. Yeah, as I think about it, probably tennis meets chess meets, I don't know, a little gambling, something like that. It's I think it's sort of the, the beauty of poker is it's its, its own category. It's, it's unique. That, that it is. It is very, very unique and, and, and yeah. crazy that. Peter? Yeah, I was just actually going to ask Dr. Michael, would you, would you categorize golf in that? in there would you think golf is because obviously there is a, there is a lot of crossover we get a lot poker players play a lot of golf and golfers. yeah i mean that, that's Gamble. a fair point I, i'm not a golfer but i i actually it's became one of my COVID hobbies was listening to the golf radio and, uh, <laughs> and 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 i think i've heard some golf sort of sports psychologists who are you know and I find it very, very relatable to other sports. So yeah, I think that's a good point. Golf as well. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, very good. And uh, and and closing the questions from the village, uh, Rolo. Shout out to Rolo with beautiful questions. He has a question for us every week. We really appreciate that. Uh, uh, what does uh, Dr. Michael recommend for a cool down? I find I'm so drained after a poker session that I'm ready to relax with a low intensity activity like TV or go to sleep. I'd like to be able to go over my session when it's still fresh, but don't seem to have the energy. So basically he wants to go and study after he's done with the session, but he can't do it. And what would you recommend for a cool down? Yeah, that's a really tough one, actually. Well, you know, I, I, I um, think that one way to break down a session is pre-game during game and post game 
So you want to look at all three aspects of this. So many, I think, poker players just say, okay, I'm in Vegas. Uh, I just had dinner with my family and go play some poker. There's no pregame. And maybe something even with the family was annoying or tilting and they're starting off on the wrong foot. So I think your pregame is something to look at. How, how, how am I feeling? Are there any weaknesses that I have technically? Do I, do I play a six too much or something like that? You know, and then um, during the game, obviously, how did I, how did I do? Did I have a good attitude? Did I enjoy it? And then post game analysis, you know, and um, so you might want to give yourself an hour or so just to cool down from the emotion of the game, take a shower, have a snack, and then see if you can write some notes. If not, the next morning, it should be fresh in your mind. Um, if, you're, if you're too tired, you know, and not up to it, that's understandable. Um, or maybe just a couple notes that you really don't want to lose. So I think it really depends on the person of, of getting, you know, what works best for them. I, I, I'm blessed with a very good memory, so I, I can wait a few days and I remember that hand. So I, I do have that luxury. But um, if you don't have that type of um, memory, the next morning, like when we go to sleep, usually they say that's the best time to study is because when you sleep, it sticks. Like when I was studying in school, they say that's a great time to study because you'll go to sleep and it'll stay in your brain. So mm -hmm. I, I hope that helps. But. No, absolutely. So, Maybe my memory won't be as good after after my fall, but I, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. This is, this is actually very good advice already. So you're talking about uh, like taking a shower, eat a snack, sleeping. Sleeping can be potentially helpful. Are there any other ideas? And again, everybody's different. We understand that. Are, are there other things that people potentially could try and see if they work for them in terms of cooling down? What has worked for other people? You know, sleeping, taking a shower, eating a snack, what other I like taking a walk. What other things come to mind from your personal Well, again, I, maybe because I recently watched uh, Andrew Moreno talk was that he said he, he used to come home and the dog was a great comfort to him, especially after a loss. So mm -hmm. pets can, can be comforting. And they also don't ask you if you won or lost. <laughs> <laughs> and why, why did you play at that? Why did you play at those stakes? <laughs> um, so um, so they have that unconditional love. Um, you know, I think it's it's a great question, actually, because unwinding it is hard for a lot of people, including I, I've I've struggled with how do I come down now, especially because you don't want to pair the poker with destructive behavior. You don't want to go get drunk. Um, you don't want to go, obviously, you know, go to the pits and gamble away or, you know, something like that. Uh, um, you know, unfortunately, my, you know, I, I, my father was great in a lot of ways, but after he lost in poker, sometimes he would yell. And so you don't want to take it out on the people around you, you know? And so, um, so how did, how to deal with, uh, especially it can be very frustrating, you know, right. how to deal with the emotional part in a constructive way. Um, you know, I, I, I think it, it, it it's a, it's an important skill that, you you can use it in a, in, in a constructive way. You know, sometimes as I think about it, what I would have is like a really, a really good snack waiting for me from a, a, a place that I like. So I know I go home and get that instead of grabbing some garbage food to soothe myself. Interesting. You know? Interesting. And, I'll, and, I'll, and, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 please, please, please finish your thought. I, I, I used to, when I, my first years of poker and my metabolism was faster, I, I, I would, you know, have more comfort foods, you know? 
that were really bad for me and and it's not good good for your for your waistline yeah. we've all been there <laughs> we've all been there but uh, what what i wanted to again illustrate for the listener uh is again you you're talking about this um i guess what we've called in this show self outsourcing the idea of creating structures um creating processes i think that would be a better word processes which we can easily follow like you said have the snack ready for you and these are not necessarily mental processes right these are steps or like walk away from the table like specific processes that you train yourself and they can be helpful to you and that way not only you can avoid pitfalls but at the same time you can immediately help yourself with something that is working so uh, and again, uh, correct me if I'm paraphrasing, but I hear the word process in, in, in what you're describing, like have that snack ready, like, you know, have yeah. a, a process that that works for you. And that could be incredibly beneficial And for somebody else could be, you know, there go to the gym or, or meditate, you know, after you're done with the session, whatever it is, but have like that specific actionable process. Is, is that fair? Yeah, I mean, that that I think is really good. I think. Um, you know, having a shower, you know, in sports, they say hit the showers. Part of that obviously is hygienic because they sweated during the game. But part of it is that hit the showers means cool off before we talk about things. So, you know, taking a hot shower, I, I think hygienically in poker is important, too, with, with um, you know, being around that, that many people and cards and chips to, to at least wash your hands. But um, interesting, you know, like one time I got sick. I, I, I didn't do that. And, and I think you, you have to do at least, it's a good idea to do at least that. But um, yeah, I think you really want to look at how do you handle pregame, during game and postgame emotionally and, and maybe even write about it and, and have some things in place um, that, that are soothing to you, you know? So it's the postgame is really a challenging aspect and can be very constructive or destructive. So it's worth putting some attention to the routine that works best for you. Beautiful. So self-awareness, put some attention to it, uh, to, to, to the post game, find what works for you. Uh, mm -hmm. You gave some very important heuristics, including shower, uh, eating healthy, sleep if possible, and then you can work the, the, the next day. Uh, and, and in general, work on these three aspects, the pre-game, the game, and the, and, 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 and the post game. This is, you know, for for example, Duncan, like I, I I've played uh, cards, and then, I, you know, they have the the massage lady going around, and sometimes I don't I, I don't want to be touched when I'm playing. I just want to be focused. But sure. I, I've done after the game just a 15 minute cool down to de stress, and then people kind of, maybe they look at me funny or not that I'm sitting at a table by myself getting a massage, but I, I want to cool down after the game, win or lose sometimes, and just reset. You know, that's so, fair. Yeah. Post game massage. Let's ask, add that to the list. You know whether yeah, it's very very good, uh, very very good idea. Um, excellent. I mean, this is this this has been fantastic. Like you know, it's just, I'm, I'm excited. This is some incredible insight. I'm sure the villagers will be ecstatic. Oh, Peter, do you have anything anything else to uh, uh, to to add to this? Or follow up questions for Dr. Michael on these topics. No, not really. Like I, I was just going to say my own, my own personal routine, like I'm as primarily a, a, an online player. I have the, I have the luxury of being at home and like that. I'm listening to music on my headphones. And wh when I step up from a session, good, bad or indifferent, I, the music will be made. I'll sing. I will dance through the house. 
and just that release, just that sort of physical movement and just sort of let all the emotions, good and bad, out. And after five minutes, I'm just, yeah, I'm just back to normal then. it's I found it a, a fantastic recovery skill. It's not for everyone. And like if somebody walked in, at me, in on me when I was doing it, they probably think I was a little bit crazy, but... Hey, like I do this for I do this for a living. So, like you know, whatever works. Whatever works. Yeah, that's a great point, Peter. You know, it reminds me. I haven't been good about it lately, but I, you know, sometimes I play in the South Bay in Los Angeles, and so what's close by, fortunately, is Manhattan Beach and some of those nice beaches. So, what I would do was I'd play, and then I'd take a long walk on on the pier, uh, on the Strand, on Manhattan Beach, and you see the ocean, you see the moon, you see that like. It gives you per, gave me perspective on the game, win or lose. You know, it really doesn't matter relative to the universe, and also the the exercise or sometimes music. But it would be like something I would look forward to after the game. You know, of sitting there for hours and then moving around feels good. You know, good and and perhaps uh, Dr. Michael, that also ties back to the gratitude that you were talking about earlier, right? I mean, being able to walk to the beach—that's something that you know, not 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 everyone has that luxury. And this is, you know, the ties overall to, to, to gratitude. Um, yeah. uh, well, we uh, before we, you know, ask you where people can find you and all of that stuff, was there anything uh, that's on your mind recently? I mean, you, you're, you're an author. I mean, I know you, you're working with, uh, with a lot of clients. Is there any specific concept that is currently on your mind? Either you're working on it or interests mm-hmm. you or anything you want to discuss with us today? Okay, Just- yes. Um- this is an important idea, I think, in sports and poker, which is the pain of losing is greater in proportion for most people to the joy of winning. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I think is surprising to people because they're like, I've never won this much money at a game or I won my tournament and I feel pretty good. But I lost this, you know, um, and I feel way, way worse than I felt better when I won. But that has a biological substrate, you know, because when we were hunting thousands of years ago, if, if you and I go out dunking and we bring back a nice lion, okay, great. The tribe eats, we maybe high five, celebrate, have a nice evening of food and hanging out by the fire. But if one of us gets killed or maimed, it's completely tragic. It's a disaster. So the loss of death, loss of life or, or limb it is much greater, you know, than, than a meal. And so, you know, it's, I think that gets people kind of messed up because they play, they may play poker. They may even be winning and it doesn't make them happy. And that, that doesn't surprise me. It's of course better to win than lose, but it, the wins don't feel as good as they thought they would when they finally um, get on a good run and they're playing well. Absolutely. And I personally, anecdotally, I can totally attest to that. They don't feel at all the same. And would you happen to have like, sort of like as a follow-up to that, which is a very interesting and deep idea, would you happen to have a specific, um, again, recommendation? What could people start in terms of awareness? What could they start looking into? Like understanding that discrepancy, understanding that disconnect between how we feel with losing and winning is the first step. What would be step two? What could people start to consider? To uh, Well, I, I think it's what we started the discussion with is detachment from the results, win or lose, mm. and, and, and more focus on the process. But process. Um, you 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 ideally i think get to the point where you're not moved too much whether you won or lost that night you're you're more interested in in, in other things about how you played and and how you felt and how you focused and what your attitude was and 
what your enjoyment level was because um yeah ultimately i think that's what counts and um training your brain to detach from the losses is, is important you know that you know gratitude can help with that a lot like i thought sometimes like we're lucky to be in a casino like you said not killing each other right. not punching each other but you know 50 70 years ago these casinos in this nice cozy environment didn't exist you know they had to go to salons saloons in texas with really shady characters and their life at risk so you know because of people like doyle we're sitting there in comfort playing a game we love and um now we have it on the internet it's just amazing so it, it, it most of eternity of time we didn't have this opportunity to play like this it, it was a rough and tumble situation so i do think about that you know when when um appreciation of the process i think is really important appreciation of the process that these are these are wonderful words to end, end on appreciation of the process i absolutely love it and uh, uh part of the reason why we're so happy dr michael to have you is because you know it, it to me it's so important to uh talk to experts when it comes to comp complex topics like like the mental aspects of the game right I, I often say intelligence is not a substitute for formal training like you presumably like you know we wouldn't trust a genius who hasn't gone to medical school to treat our disease right and similarly you know logic dictates we should treat other important aspects and and you've done that i mean you uh, you gain you gave us so much insight on uh, on all of these topics and just to summarize a few uh you you talked about the the importance of of self-awareness the importance of of gratitude the importance of essentially finding uh, processes uh of, of of trying to find the things that can be uh, tweakable uh the 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 very interesting thing that you mentioned about the fact that perhaps we by by watching people who letting st some steam uh you know off we sort of like uh, fantasize that it would be nice if we can let go uh, ourselves even though we're restricted from society norms uh, it's just just absolutely absolutely incredible stuff so if, if people want to learn more about you and want to reach out to you what are some avenues what are some places we already talked about the book but tell, mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about the your website the book uh you know your podcast all, all of that stuff where people can find you well, first, I have to say, I, I met Duncan playing poker, and he, he was an excellent player, but he, he, he berated me. He, he, berated, he berated the dealer, and it was just like he made Phil Almuth look like an angel. No, you, you were a gentleman when you played and an excellent player. Um, so um, to reach me, um, my, my website is drmichaelwhitman.com, and... Um, I have a new person doing my Instagram, Beverly Hills Psychologist is the Instagram. We're gonna be posting more videos about psychology. And yeah, my book is on amazon.com, a psychological analysis of tennis. Um, and I do work with athletes and poker players, and I do enjoy that uh, on whether it's a uh, performance or other issues. And um, I think that's about it, yeah. Very, very good, and we, we, we appreciate it, and I think uh, so is just just to clarify, is your website Dr. Michael J. Whitman .com? I mean that that's the big question because right right now I have both because I have a new okay. website person. So okay. I, I have Dr. Michael Whitman, which I think will be the new one. Got and, it. Um, yeah. Got it. Very good. Without without the the, the, without just, the just, okay, make sure that you know we 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 get it right. Uh, excellent. And uh, 
any 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 final thoughts anything at all um we really appreciate having you here dr michael so i don't know if you have anything else you you wanted to add no it was a it was a fun conversation i don't think i have anything else but you know i i, I think that you know i i, I see some poker players and, and i and, and, you know think it's easy to fall into fall into um winning only and so they'll sit at a game with somebody who's berating them because they're a fish or you know do things that are just for their bottom line and i i don't think it's probably a good idea for you because my view is that life is you know this is a cliche but life is very short you, you should spend your time doing things that give you fulfillment and enjoyment and, and, and so don't only go to poker for money you know try, try to try to also get something internal for it and i think you can do both and sometimes you know if you're at a game where you don't feel good th those are six hours of your life let's say for example you can't get back you know so it's also our time is our most precious commodity even more than money you know? very well said so make the most of it uh, the moment when it's actually happening not because of an end goal but the actual process of it right i mean the actual being there like these six hours love them and, and enjoy them yeah it's a game after all and it's a game you should enjoy Other, otherwise don't play it you know if it's if it's too stressful or if it's the, the game is out of your comfort zone or you know you, you you've been not feeling good physically like i said i wasn't then, then it'll always be there C come back when you can you know enjoy the game come back when you can enjoy the game. This is a wonderful <laughs> quote to close on. Well, Dr. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks All for right. having me. Absolutely. And okay. uh, Peter, thank you so much also for joining us. And everybody, uh, we will Thank you, Duncan. Thank you. And thank you again, Dr. Michael. <laughs> we really will see nice you all you. next week. Absolutely. All right. Take care. Take care. Take care. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter, join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.